Hi, I'm Simone W. Johnson-Smith, and welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America. Are you a professional new to the United States and struggling to monetize the expertise you brought across the seas? Are you feeling misunderstood and out of touch because you're struggling to understand the unstated rules of the American culture? Each week, we'll take an in-depth look at the positive contributions immigrants are making to the American culture, marketplace, and life. Our intention is to serve as a bridge from your culture to the American culture, giving you a roadmap of tools and the language to understand the unstated rules of the American culture. Let's get started. So welcome friends to another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America. I'm happy to be with you today. We have with us um, someone very dear to me, someone that goes back several years uh, to my time with Department of State. She's mentored me and been a mentor to so many others, and we are grateful to have her on our show today. Uh, We have here Cynthia Farrell Johnson. And um, I'd like to give you a little bit of her background, which is quite colorful. And uh, I I guarantee you, you'll have a very rich conversation in our show today. So Cynthia has uh, over 25 years with the Department of State serving as a U.S. diplomat. She served in several countries around the world and uh, including West Africa, Central and South America. And it exposed her to a wide variety of artistic traditions and forms of expression. Though Cynthia has 25 years with Department of State, the arts has been a large part of her life and her career. And she's continued to enrich us with her paintings and other forms of work. Today, Cynthia lives in Silver Spring, Maryland with her husband and two sons. Uh, She's a member of the Women's Caucus for the Art in Greater Washington, D.C. chapter and the Pyramid Atlantic Art Center, where she has her work, her art, where she has her art studio currently. She's listed in the Maryland State Artists Registry, and her work is included in the West Indian Museum of Panama, as well as the D.C. Arts and Humanities Art Bank and the Martha's Tables Collection. Thank you for being with us today, Cynthia. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm very happy to have you on the show today. And I know my listeners will enjoy hearing your American story. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for being here. So I, um, when I first met you, I actually thought you were directly migrating from Panama, but as we've talked over time, I've come to learn that you are, um, you were born to immigrant parents from Panama. Can you give us a little bit more about your immigrant, uh, your arrival story and, and your parents, uh, where they're from and so forth? Well, I sometimes feel like I come from a long line of nomads because my paternal grandparents were from Barbados and traveled to Panama because that's where the jobs were. And my paternal grandfather actually worked for the Panama Canal Company. My maternal grandparents migrated from Jamaica to Panama 
And although they did not work on the canal, they worked in Panama because again, there were just so many more job opportunities there. And uh, so my parents were born in Panama and uh, lived there until the post-World War II period when there was an economic downturn and many of the English speaking uh, children of West Indians moved to the U.S. because they felt like there would be more opportunities for them there than in Panama. My parents had lived in Colon City on the Atlantic coast, the Caribbean coast of Panama. And during the war, there was a lot of activity and there were lots of opportunities and it was a flourishing uh, environment. But after the war, things changed. And so many people from that part of Panama migrated to either Los Angeles area or Brooklyn uh, or Manhattan. And so my parents went to, uh, migrated to New York City. They landed on uh, Central Park West. And it was so funny, I remember, um, growing up them talking about being across the street from Central Park in a, I guess it was a row house at that time, but eventually they moved to Brooklyn because I think those houses were torn down and they built high rise apartment buildings that immigrants couldn't afford. (laughs) (laughs) So they, they ended up moving to Brooklyn and in Brooklyn, they purchased a home, a one house away from my father's older sister who had purchased a house there. I believe it was my grandmother and my father who pooled their resources to purchase the house. And when I think about what they paid for it and what it, what it would cost today if I were to try to buy it, I mean, it's just unbelievable how the prices have changed because Brooklyn has all of a sudden become the place to live. But they, um, they worked hard. He was a printer in Panama at the Pacific Publishing House, which was a publishing concern of the Seventh-day Adventist Church because they were Seventh-day Adventists. And so when he came up to the U.S., he was able to find a job printing. And that's uh, how they started their journey with him finding a job printing, joining the printer's union that had good benefits. And uh, so... My mother eventually also found work and my grandmother worked until she had a stroke. So we had three uh, adults in the home that were working and just trying to get ahead and provide for the children as we came along. We ended up being three sisters. And uh, my grandmother was my paternal grandmother from Barbados. So in the process, I learned all kinds of things about what it was like to grow up in Barbados. And of course, when they had friends come over, they always talked about what was going on back home in Panama. So I always dreamed of one day traveling or working and living in a foreign country because I wanted to keep up the family tradition. (laughs) Yes, yes, of course. The one thing that um, I would note we felt sometimes it felt like we were in a little Caribbean bubble because the church we attended was predominantly West Indian. I mean, folks from all over the Caribbean. It was a Seventh-day Adventist church uh, and um, the pastors, the elders, everybody (laughs) 
was from one of the islands. I think a majority were from Jamaica, but uh, every island, as well as the northern tier of South America, Guyana and Suriname, uh, people from Belize and uh, the Caribbean coast of Central America. So we grew up surrounded by immigrants in, in our um, church life. And my best friends to this day from childhood are friends that I made at church from either Panama or Jamaica. Wow. Wow. Very interesting. I hope you all still own that home today. I wish we did. No, my father <laughs> sold it and moved down to Florida. You know, like all good West Indians, when it gets too cold and they're getting up in the age, it's like, you know, we got to get out of New York. It's too cold. <laughs> right, right. So they, they moved to Florida, sold the house and moved to Florida. And sadly, in part, it, no, it didn't stay in the family because the three daughters were scattered. I was working overseas. My older sister became a um, certified nurse midwife and eventually got it, also got a degree in public health and ended up doing international public health and lived in Malawi and many of and then got jobs where she was traveling all over the place. She and my younger sister for a time shared an apartment in the Bay Area because my sister moved to San Francisco and my younger sister went in the Navy, had been stationed in Hawaii and after she got out the Navy ended up because she was working at Oaknoll in uh, Oakland, I guess it's, yeah, in Oakland, I believe, California, she and my sister ended up living together and they spent many years in California. So by the time my father was ready to move, unfortunately, none of us were in New York still to oh, inherit okay. the house. So right, right. But traveling, traveling the world, I didn't know that your other sister actually did had a lifestyle like yours traveling and and you know exciting lifestyle overseas yeah she and she's been to many more countries than i have been to she really has has had some amazing overseas experiences however her favorite um i think some of her favorite assignments were in nigeria she really developed wonderful friendships with uh people in nigeria on the different projects that she worked on. And I think that is a, that country is very close to her heart. And then when we did our ancestry search, we found out that the bulk of our DNA is from Nigeria. So it all came naturally. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow, wow. That connection was there, right? Yeah. Even though she didn't quite understand. Exactly. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Quite interesting. So, Cynthia, I know we've talked a little bit about your time with the Department of State, but if we could take you back, mm -hmm. I know you shared that you, because of being exposed to so many people from overseas, from the Caribbean, you always had that desire to travel. Um, but can you tell us what was your American dream as you grew up? And um, what were some of the challenges that you faced in pursuit of getting to that American dream? Well, as I said, my dream was to find uh, a way to travel and work and experience other cultures. And um, in college, I did a junior summer abroad, which 
confirmed my belief that that would be a good thing to do because I spent, um, I guess it must have been about six weeks, eight weeks in, in Germany and traveled, got to travel to Italy and France as well. But um, just being in a different country and experiencing different ways of being and thinking. And when you learn a language, you also learn a little bit, I think, about thought processes in that culture. Just the way languages, the sentences are constructed and, and languages uh, evolve. And I stayed with the family for the most part. The majority of the time that I was there, we stayed with the family. And I'm still in touch with the children of that family. The parents have passed away, but I'm still in touch with the children and got, have gotten to know their grandchildren. So it's been, it, that in and of itself was a wonderful experience, just having that kind of a connection and seeing different ways of, of being and understanding that while the American lifestyle had its advantages, other places had things that recommended them as well. And there was no one way of living, but you could, you could explore lots of different ways of living in community. And so that really inspired me to look for opportunities to live in other places and experience other places and learn about other cultures. And of course, I wanted to share my culture and share my experience as an American because sometimes in foreign countries, they have very um, limited exposure to Americans of every walk of life. They only see maybe what they see on TV or in the movies. And so I thought it would be exciting to just interact with people and talk about what my experience was and the Black experience or just the experience of people of color in general in the United States. Yes, there are problems, but they are also opportunities. And so, yeah, it's, it, was, it was exciting to have that first trip and, and that really motivated me to look for opportunity, an opportunity to work overseas. Growing up, because we lived in this little Caribbean bubble, but I did... I mean, and you go to school and there are kids from all over. A lot of the, um, the public school I went to, the elementary school was like a half a block from my house. So I'd walk to school and kids in the neighborhood, there were, sure, immigrant families, but there were also a lot of people who had migrated from the South. There are a lot of Puerto Ricans. So we had all these different cultures. And so I learned a lot about the African-American experience from, of people from the South. And uh, there were times when they would make jokes about the West Indians and call us the black Jews <laughs> because they said, oh, y'all are just always working and saving your money and keeping to yourselves, just like those Jews. <laughs> so, you know, stereotypes. <laughs> wow, wow. And, and so, but that never really phased me because I figured, you know, just everybody has their own way of thinking and based on their experience and so I'm not going to let that stop me whatever <laughs> and I think the other thing that helped broaden my outlook was that 
when it came time for high school, I applied to a commercial art high school in Manhattan called High School of Art and Design. And that was just a wonderful experience because there were kids from all over New York City who attended. So I got to know folks who lived in the Bronx and Queens and Manhattan. My two best friends in high school lived in Manhattan and got to know different neighborhoods and different parts of the city. And it was funny when I eventually went to work in the public library, I remember meeting people who had never ventured out of their community and oh. uh, in Brooklyn. And going to Manhattan was like going to a foreign country. And I was just kind of stunned. How could you live in New York City and not go to Manhattan, go to the theater or museum or whatever. But because I went to high school in Manhattan, I got to know different parts of Manhattan. And I took advantage of the, um, all the cultural institutions that were free and open to kids, <laughs> young people. And when I was in high school, one lovely woman who I babysat for got me a free membership to the Museum of Modern Art. So for a couple of years, I was able to just wander in there after school or on the weekends whenever I wanted and take in whatever show or movie or program they had. So there are all these different people along the way as well who helped open up new worlds. And, and that wonderful woman who did that for me, we're still friends, still in touch. We, we um, now collaborate on, on uh, things having to do with uh, care for our brothers and sisters, our siblings who are incarcerated or returning citizens. She is involved with Fortune Society, and I'm involved with uh, Free Minds Book Club and Writing Workshop. So it's been, it's been wonderful meeting people, getting to know them, and staying in touch even with all the travels, all these folks who mentored me and enriched my life. Right, right. So can you tell us, Cynthia, some of the uh, list of the countries that you were fortunate to uh, live in with Department of State Foreign Service? Okay, yes. I started out in West Africa, in French-speaking West Africa, in Côte d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast. And then I went to Benin. And those were two very different countries. So that was a wonderful experience, even though they're in West Africa and people speak French. Of course, each country had a very unique cultural tradition and food. And then after that, I went to Panama, which was totally unexpected. I had been trying to get assigned to Brazil, but of course, everybody wanted to go to Brazil. And so... I didn't think I would get Panama because that was also a very popular assignment. So I had put it on the, my list, but I didn't think I had a chance of getting that. And lo and behold, a career counselor called me up and said, I'm so sorry, we can't give you any of your Brazilian uh, posts on your list, but would you mind going to Panama? <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I was like, throw me in the briar patch. <laughs> I was so excited. I would finally get to live and get to know my relatives in Panama and, and 
experience the place where my parents were born and raised. So I was really excited about going to Panama. And I spent four years there and they were tumultuous years because it was 85 to 89, 1985 to 1989 during all the uh, upheaval with uh, General Noriega. And uh, fortunately I was not there for the invasion but I was there for everything leading up to it. And it was uh, definitely an interesting time to be there. And then from Panama, I came back to the States for a few years and then went back overseas. And by then I had married and had one son. And so we went to Uruguay for four years and we went to El Salvador for two years after that. And then I returned to the U.S. And after that, I just stayed here in, in the Washington area and uh, worked at different jobs until retirement. And even after I retired, I went back and worked part time for another 15 years. So I ended up with 40 years of federal service. So wow, wow, that was uh, and it flew by. <laughs> Wow, so you're completely retired now? I, I know am the now last completely time retired. Okay, very good, very good. And you've been quite active doing your, I want to say your love, right? This is your yes. first love, the arts. Can yes, you share exactly. with us a little bit about where that has taken you since you've been home and rooted in Silver Spring and what you've been doing? Well, interestingly, um, I continued with the art even after... Um, I joined the Foreign Service and I, because I was working in the area called public diplomacy, which is the cultural and press side of an embassy's operation, I uh, got to know artists and art communities. And when people learned that I myself created art, I was always invited to exhibit and was able to do so in all the different places I served and even in some of the neighboring countries. So by the time I got home, I had still been painting. And even after I got home, I ended up doing an exhibition in El Salvador, sending paintings back that I had been inspired by my time in El Salvador. And uh, got on with a gallery, uh, the Parish Gallery, had an exhibition there. And uh, sadly, Norman Parrish, the owner of that gallery, he developed a brain tumor and passed away several years ago. And since then, I have not been associated with any one particular gallery, but I have a membership at Pyramid Atlantic Art Center and do have some studio space there. So that's sort of been my um, gallery home and they have a shop where I sell my note cards and things like that. So I've continued painting and some of the painting I sell and sometimes I will donate pieces to fundraise because I feel like that's one of the things I want to do. I may not have a gazillion dollars to contribute to a worthy cause, but I can give some of my artwork to support the efforts of organizations that are doing things that are helping to heal our world because Lord knows we need all the help we can get because the human condition always seems to be on this roller coaster of up and down and up and down. Yeah. There are always yes. people in need. Absolutely.
So we, we thank you for your service with the U.S. government, right, for 40 years <laughs> and for your continued contribution to the art community. Um, do you have any surprises that you'd like to share with us that came along your path um, over the years or anything that you thought you needed to like adjust, big adjustment that you needed to make? particularly because you grew up in the Caribbean um, enclave, I guess, if you want to call it, in the New York area. Um, how did you navigate um, the wider American population? You've spent quite a bit of your time overseas, so you've had to deal with different cultures and, and so forth. How did you navigate, you know, just understanding those cultures and building rapport with people and so forth? Well, interestingly, I found that no matter where I went, there was always a period of adjustment because when I went to Africa, there was the adjustment of this new language. There was the adjustment of climate, which I embraced totally because I hate winter. <laughs> um, and Jen, just remembering what some of our elders told us you have two ears and one mouth so you should listen twice as much as you speak mm -hmm. so just listening and making an effort to understand others and uh, their traditions and practices and one of the things I didn't want to do is just I didn't want to remain just in little American or expatriate enclaves. I really wanted to get to know people who were natives of the country. I wanted to, why, what's the point of going to a foreign country if you stay with just Americans or just uh, foreigners? It's interesting to meet the foreigners who are working there as well. But my whole point was I wanted to understand the people of the country that I was assigned to what mattered to them, because that would enable me to communicate more effectively whatever policy program or activity the cultural center was trying to promote. So I was very fortunate in just about every country. I met people who not only were well-connected, but who were genuinely interested in me as a human and welcomed me into their families and to their circle of friends. And in Cote d'Ivoire, for example, I met a young woman who was working in the Ivoirian embassy here in Washington, DC. She gave me some hair care products to take to her sisters and her mom, which I did. And they kind of adopted me. So they'd invite me to come over for Sunday dinner every week that I was available and not busy with other things. And it was just such a wonderful experience just being in the family and getting to know a different um, aspect of life in Cote d'Ivoire that um, of people who had absolutely no official connection to the embassy. And that happened to me in just about every country where I served, where I would go out and meet people and some of them and become friends with people who didn't necessarily have any official connection to the work 
that was being done at the embassy, but who were just genuinely interesting friends and people. And uh, all of that was enriching. So fast forward, come back to the Washington area in 1998 after having lived overseas for uh, by that at that time for six years and everything is new and different. So I just approached it the same way I, um, I did when I uh, would go to a foreign country because suburban Silver Spring was a foreign country to me at that <laughs> point as well. And uh, so I eventually made some very good friends in the DC area. But the first, uh, I'd say the first year it was almost like going, going to a foreign country and, and just trying to get your sea legs and, and figure out which way is up and find a new set of uh, friends. And it was nice to be closer to family. Uh, but I remember the first uh, year or so, it, it was a type of culture shock as well. <laughs> Wow. Wow. And I know you've continued to be quite involved with the Silver Spring community. I know you go to a lot of arts um, festivals uh, on the Veterans Plaza. You're often there selling your products for those who might be listening who are in the area. Do you still do that? Well, unfortunately, the Fenton Street Market no longer exists. Really? Yeah. And so that was a really sad uh, when that shut down because that was a great opportunity to meet people in, in Silver Spring and um, sell my wares. Um, that, I, that's, it's been a while since that shut down. And uh, then, of course, with COVID, <laughs> everything shut down, not just Fenton right. Street Market. And uh, it's so it, the last few years, most of my um, sales have been through Pyramid Atlantic's gift shop and some of the other um, art spaces that I'm connected to, like the Arts Barn in Gaithersburg, Sandy Spring Museum in Sandy Spring, Maryland. And uh, word of mouth or website, it's in so for a while i was a board member of uh, silver spring town center inc which was a little bit like being a cultural affairs officer because we organized um, cultural activities programs for the plaza and the civic building and uh, we had an art salon and i co-chaired that for a while until my schedule got just so crazy i couldn't do it anymore so yeah I've been involved still with some of the activities in, in downtown Silver Spring, but in a different way because so much has changed. Wow. And I haven't been there for at least five years, so it probably looks quite different since there's so many changes with the veterans area there. Well, in the, the upside is that the farmer's market expanded uh, to the plaza and on Ellsworth. So we have a huge farmer's market on Saturdays and you can find everything under the sun. And the last time I went, I was happy to see that there were diverse vendors. Uh, uh, there were some African American or African uh, vendors who have farms and grow organic 
products. So it was nice to see that kind of diversity because back in the day, you didn't see such a variety of people selling at the farmer's market. But now it's uh, now you do. Okay, so, very good. Evolution. <laughs> right. Do you think my, that might be as a result of outreach from the folks there at the center or what has changed? I think that is, um, there seems to be a trend in, in the Washington area trying to encourage people to do urban farming and to go green and that kind of thing. And I can only assume that the organizers of the farmer's market have also been reaching out and encouraging new vendors to come because if they grow, they benefit as well, because I'm sure they get some kind of a percentage or fee from having more people participate in the farmer's market. So it's one of these things that I'm assuming, I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming that they benefit and the farmers benefit from that relationship, which is as it should be. Right. (laughs) Very good. Very well. Um, So Cynthia, what advice would you give to a new immigrant, a new resident someone who's trying to understand the complexity of America um, may not have been well-traveled as you, but maybe come from another country and trying to navigate the American space and culture, language that the different groups speak. Do you have any advice for anyone about how to, how to make it work, how to flourish, if you may, in America? Well, When I think back to the things that were helpful to my parents, I think it's what has happened with immigrants throughout this country's history. Oftentimes people migrate to places where there are already communities of people from their country of birth. And that community helps with the um, transition and introduction. Oftentimes the churches that people attend will also help with the process of adjusting to the new environment, the new culture. So many churches with large immigrant communities, I remember they were always helpful giving advice and and, networking and somebody needed something and then uh, there was always a church member who if they couldn't provide the help they knew someone who could right so those kind the social clubs the churches the community centers just those communities of immigrants but then don't just stay there as you adjust and are able to navigate better then be bold and go out and sometimes try to go beyond your comfort zone and just try to learn about what else is going on that could be beneficial to you. Um, I remember sometimes people would say, well, why are you, why are you so interested in, in 
traveling or going someplace else. Uh, everything's good here. Be curious. And uh, within this country, there are just so many different communities and so many different immigrant groups. Just take advantage of what we have around us. Uh, it, it can be so enriching. I remember learning all kinds of things from the teachers at school, from the different kids, from different walks of life and different communities. So just be open to learning and fearless because I always feel like anyone who has immigrated is already fearless because they're stepping out into something totally new. And even if you think you know, when you arrive, it's always different. <laughs> I mean, you can read about a place, you can see pictures and all of this. You can see movies and TV shows. But when you get there, so often it is a whole different ballgame. And it's, it's just not what you expected. And sometimes it disappoints and sometimes it's better than you expected. But it's always different from what you expect. We all have preconceived notions of how things are in certain places. And then we get there and find out, well, it's a little more complicated. It's not exactly this, or it's not exactly that. So, you know, just be open and willing to learn. And like the old folks say, use those two ears to listen. <laughs> very well, very well. Thank you for I that. Guess my sorry, I guess my final word would be, I remember, when I was in Latin America, there was a saying, el que da cariño recibe cariño. Mm, he who gives mm, love, or the person receives. who gives love will receive love. Yes. And I have found so often that if you step out with an open hand and an open heart and an open mind, folks will be receptive. Because a lot of times people are afraid of rejection Mm. But if you show that you care and you're curious and you're interested, that sort of can oftentimes disarm people and just help them to relax and be equally open and caring and willing to meet you wherever you are. Very good. That's a nice, that's a nice bookend. That's a nice bookend. Thank you so much. Um, so I wanted to, um, share with our listeners how to find your work, Cynthia. I think you have an online website, right? And um... Yes. I have a website, www.cfjfinearts.com. I'm also on Instagram at Cynthia Farrell Johnson, all one word. And I also have a web page, I mean, a um, Facebook page, page c farrell johnson fine arts llc so they can find me there i do twitter a little but not not that much so <laughs> it's too much to keep up with <laughs> well i commend you for your generation you you do a lot much more than i can say like my parents generation they just are not online they're not as comfortable as you are so you're doing quite a bit um but we thank you for your time and um, I've enjoyed your buying your um, cards, 
that I use postcards that I send. So Cynthia also provide postcards from her artwork. So if you ever are interested in ordering these from her, um, they're very nicely put together that you can thank you cards, birthday cards, some are blank that you can write your own mes messages in. Um, I've enjoyed those over the years. And so um, look her up online. And um, we've enjoyed hearing your story, Cynthia. And uh, we thank welcome you. you back to the show anytime. Thanks so much. You take good care now. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on another episode of The Immigrant Experience in America. As this show is new, any and all support is greatly appreciated. If you have not done so already, please subscribe on the Apple Podcast app, the Google Podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you listen. We also ask for your support by providing us with a rating and review online and sharing this podcast with your friends, family, colleagues, and circle of influence. Join us again when we will share another episode of The Immigrant Experience in America. Until next time, walk good.